0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres-Rodriguez, personal finance expert, speaker, writer, and business coach. I teach women of color how to build wealth and gain financial independence through side hustles and investing. On this show, we're serving up POC-friendly personal finance knowledge, always with a side of sass. We're talking about how to make dinero, how to keep it, and how to make it grow. If you're ready to become poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice, and I cannot wait for you to hear this next episode. We are going to be talking to Melissa Jean-Baptiste, who is the amazing woman behind Millennial In Debt, her social media channel where she shares her journey to pay off $102,000 in debt. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to say thank you and welcome to all of our new subscribers. If you're following me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or any other platform, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here We are building a community of empowered and inspired people of color, and I am just so happy to have you be part of the familia. This podcast is all about inspiring, educating, and informing you. If you're a person of color, you know nobody's talking to you about money, so we have created this space where we're doing exactly that, and we're bringing you authentic stories from people just like you who are accomplishing amazing things with their finances and who are offering their advice and tips about how they were able to make all of these changes in their personal finance lives so that you can take those tips and tricks and implement them in your own. So today's episode is no exception. We are going to be talking about that beast of student loans. Hello, darkness, my old friend.
1: I've come to talk with you again.
0: I know you can relate to this. I can relate to this. Most of us have battled with student loans in one way or another, and they are a bitch, okay? Let's just put it out there. Student loans are the bane of my existence, and they have quickly become the largest consumer debt in the United States more than mortgages, more than credit cards. The student loan debt crisis is real, and it has real consequences, and we're going to be talking to someone who knows all about those consequences, but luckily and smartly, she turned everything around, paid off over $102,000, and bought a house in the same month. That's right. We're talking to Melissa Jean-Baptiste of Millennial in Debt. Melissa is a 31-year-old, first-generation Haitian-American, a New York City public school teacher for the last 10 years, and co-founder and content creator at Millennial In Debt. She's the writer and director of the Millennial In Debt web series, as well as the co-founder and content creator for Trials and Tresses. She's blended her love of writing and financial literacy into a satirical series, highlighting the pitfalls of the millennial generation when it comes to love relationships, employment, and student loans. Melissa's astounding debt payoff story has been featured in Good Morning America, and you can follow Melissa at Millennial In Debt on YouTube and Instagram. Let's get into this conversation with Melissa Jean-Baptiste of Millennial In Debt. So Melissa, thank you so much for being here. First, It is
1: my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Now, I know we're going to get into celebrating all of the amazing things that you have accomplished, but first off, I don't want to be ignorant or just pretend like nothing's going on in the world because Lord knows. Um, so just like in in light of recent events, first I just want to ask how you're doing because I know that, you know, it's important for people to really understand the impact of the murder of George Floyd and countless other Black Americans and like what that's actually doing to Black people on a physically, like mental state, the whole gamut. So, if you could just really just give us insight into like how you are and like what is going on in your head at this point.
1: Um. Well, thank you so much for asking. It's it's definitely a difficult conversation to have um, in any aspect of life. And as someone who obviously has a black father and I have two black brothers, it's it's always heartbreaking to the core when, when these things surface and we never receive any sort of justice. There's no sort of fairness or equality with how um, black and brown bodies are being policed and, and murdered in front of our eyes. And it's, it's, it begs the question, well, what, what was being done or what is it that we don't know? when things weren't being filmed right because mm. you see all of these things on, on camera and, and all the outrage it causes it and, and brings a lot of action but it, it always makes me think what happened to all the the black men and, and and women and children or brown bodies that that have been lost to census violence that we haven't seen so absolutely it's really important I think that we keep in mind that, yes, we're all outraged right now in this week and in last week, but we, we keep that same outrage and we keep that same motivation to keep fighting and keep pushing forward much, much, much further down the line and not just, you know, kind of lose gas or lose steam, which we, we tend to do. We get tired. It, this is, it, it's exhausting, but we have to remember that just because we win a small battle in this moment that the fight is not over. We have miles to go uh, to make sure things are, are really handled in the right way, the way they should be handled.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. And so I actually wanted to ask you about your recent YouTube video. So you talked about what white allies can do during this time to help, right? And yeah. so I, I, you know, I've heard different Kind of narratives coming from the Black community, and one of them that I personally agree with is like, it's not your job to tell white people how to fix this because y'all cause a fucking problem. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> so, but you decided to take a different route. So, I'm just curious
1: as to why. Um, I so in the video, I do, I do mention that it's no one's job to teach you that you must teach yourself. But as a teacher, I'm often torn, especially because I work in a predominantly white school with white students and white colleagues. Um, And yes, sometimes they don't know and ignorance is not the answer, but I, I find that if I sit there and just let them kind of be ignorant, it, it pisses me off to to say, (laughs) it's really annoying. And it's just like, are you really going to sit here and say, you don't know, as if there's not things you can do to figure it out and to learn and be a better human being and have human decency? And so that's that's the route I took in the video. I offered some suggestions and some things that they can do to further learn and and help be an ally without like giving like a a thirty minute guideline on you can (laughs) you can do this and you can do that because honestly, it's like you have to be a decent human. You have to take the steps to learn and figure it out. And I mentioned some books that I've read and I think that are really life changing that people should be reading and people should understand and not just white people, black people as well. We need to arm ourselves with knowledge. And and I love seeing all of these protests and it's amazing. I just want to make sure that these protests lead to something more than just us, just us protesting. I want to make sure it leads to us getting some sort of justice and getting some sort of action that we deserve and not just momentarily. Um, so that that was my thinking behind the video. It's I was really torn about it. I'm just like, I'm tired of teaching these people these things, but... <laughs> it's like I have this platform and I can't just sit on this platform and talk about dollars as if dollars are not affected by racism, you know? So it's like, everything is so connected. I, I, I felt like it was really important. Um, and it's the same thing in, in my, at my job. I'm just like, I'm so tired of telling you guys why a diverse curriculum is so crucial and so important to have students be seen. And then even if it doesn't connect to the white students, they need to know at 14 to 15, I'm giving them more grace and mercy of they don't know. And it's my job to teach them at 30 and 40. It's like, come on. Yeah, you're
0: just not doing the work. You're not doing the bare minimum at
1: that point. Right, exactly, (laughs) exactly. So it's- I mean,
0: I think it's shocking to me that like 2020, you're still having conversations with educators about why diversity and understanding diversity is important. Like where (laughs) the hell
1: are we? (laughs) You'd be- shocked. You'd be shocked. And it's it's been a very difficult, almost five years. I've been teaching for 10 years. Um, and now I, I teach in a predominantly white school for the last four years. So September will be my fifth year. And it was mind blowing coming from my first year of teaching was a truly diverse school. And then my next five years of teaching, I worked in a predominantly black school. And those are far different struggles working in a black school. And then I get to this white school and I'm just like, what is this? Like what what type of <laughs> education is this? It was something that I was so not prepared for. And the first two years it was like people barely even knew my name at my school. It, it was just, it was really difficult. And then in the third year I was I was like, you know what, screw this. I'm not here for for my colleagues. I'm here for these kids. And I can't sit down and and teach this white curriculum created by white men to these students who deserve better, who who should know other things outside of shakespeare you know and so that kind of rattled people a bit but i i'd rather be known for being the troublemaker and the rebel and all these other things than being the one who's complicit i i would i would much rather be known as the rebel at the school so that's the route that i've chosen to take kudos to you girlfriend (laughs) like that is a brave
0: thing to do and but it's so needed like and i feel like you by you doing that you give other people the courage to hopefully step up and do the same because this shit as it is right now just cannot continue.
1: It's not I working. I agree. I, for no, It's not working for anyone except for
0: one particular group of people. Right. And, it's, no. and according to all stats, that group of people is going to be the minority in this country very soon. So they better get their shit together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because like, then y'all
0: going to have some real problems. Yeah. Because then I
1: would love to hear an all lives matter at that point. Like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah? You think so? Uh-huh. uh-huh. I don't think so. All
0: right. <laughs> so- Thank you so much for all that. I'm just like, I knew I was going to vibe with you right away because you just don't give a shit and <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay? Thank you so
1: much. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you. Um,
0: so we're here also to talk about just like the amazing things you've done in the personal finance space. So can we talk about you? Because- you paid off $102,000 in student loans by age 30, which just has me like shook. I really don't even <laughs> understand like how that's possible. So we're going to get into all of that. Okay. But for anybody who doesn't know you, why don't you just give us a brief intro and also talk a little bit about like how your relationship with money was formed growing up.
1: Sure. So I am a um, first generation from West Indian parents, my parents are Haitian. So what first generation means in case, you know, people um, aren't familiar with the term is my parents were born and raised in Haiti. They came when they were fairly young, but because they didn't grow up in America, they didn't experience a lot of the, um, things that you would experience in growing up here. So going to school was different, applying for um, colleges was different because I was the first person doing it and I didn't really have um, like a, a role model to follow essentially in my household. And so in doing so, and my parents were really amazing with sending my brothers to private school, sending myself to private school. Um, but when you go to private school, which is a huge systematic racial thing in itself, mm. um, The push for in private school for the most part is go to a good college because we need to have the stats to look good to keep recruiting more people for our school, right? So it's they don't they don't focus on financial literacy or learning about what loans are, what grants are, what scholarships are. Yeah, if you get a scholarship, that's great, but it's gonna be, oh, that was based off of merit, right? Because you had a 4.0 scholarship, a Mm 4.0 GPA. So in going to my private high school, which I loved, the big push there was go to the most expensive college because it looks really great. It'll look great on your resume or go to this private college because they have nursing or go to this. So they didn't even really acknowledge what a CUNY and a SUNY was. And of course, you know, my due diligence, I should have looked, you know, at 17. I I wasn't really thinking about that. I was like, well, this is a really good high school. They're telling me to do this. I'm going to do this. So Mm -hmm. I ended up going to a four-year private university, um, undecided, had no idea what my (laughs) – Degree was going to be in. I was just going in there, paying forty thousand dollars a year to to have fun, essentially. Oh
0: my god!
1: Uh, yeah, it's, it's like okay, like you. That's awesome. the
0: story of our lives, though. I mean, who the hell at eighteen years old knows what they want to do? Let's be right, honest.
1: right. But my biggest issue with that is at at eighteen, you let me choose my college. You're letting me <laughs> choose my future. You're letting me sign these thousand dollar loans, but you're not really teaching me the impact of what's going to happen when I'm, mm. I'm no longer in this institution. So that's essentially what happened. I signed my first loan um, to cover the spring semester of my freshman year of college. I signed it when I was 18 years old. Um, it was for $7,000. That was my first leap into Sally May world. Um, <laughs> and then when I ended up choosing a major at the end of my sophomore year, I was a little behind it, but I didn't want to spend Extra time in college, so I started doubling up on courses I was taking 18 20 credits a semester I took a 22 semester uh, 22 credit semester in the summer, which summer is not covered by financial aid so you have oh. to take loans and it was the same thing for when I took the winter semester. so all of these things I'm doing to catch up and finish in four years and earn this degree was racking up debt so quickly and, and I wasn't even thinking about that aspect of it because I just needed to finish within four years because again, that's what they tell you, right? You go to high school four mm-hmm. years, you go to college four years, you get, out, get a degree, you get a job. Um, so by the time I graduated at, in 2010, I graduated with two degrees. I was so like, I was like, yes, I'm, I'm going to get my bachelor's and master's. Like, I'm so amazing. And, and I graduated with a bachelor's and master's in four years and with $60,000 in debt, <laughs> in loans. And then I was just like, well, I don't really care because I'm going to have a job and it's going to be fine. And then I couldn't find a job for the the summer since I after I graduated. I was like, oh, boy, I was working at Dave & Buster's making $10 an hour. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. And Sally Mae said to me, like, oh, you have a six-month grace period. You're fine. You don't have to pay yet. So I'm like, great, cool, amazing, you know, because I didn't know what these things were. And that's why it's so important when I talk on Millennial that I break down all the parts and steps and, and points of a loan. It's not just you sign, you pay back. There's so many things. There's grace period, there's forbearance, there's deferment, there's your promissory note. There's a lot of things that I didn't pay attention to or understand what they were. So during this grace period, I ended up getting a teaching job, which thankfully, um, and my first check was for a little over $1,000. And then I got my first bill from Sally Mae, which was also a little over $1,000. So I'm like, what? (laughs) I was... (laughs) I was blown away. I was devastated because I wanted to, you know, move out of my parents' house and buy a car and do all of these things at 22. And it was just like, you are not going anywhere. You can't do anything like, no. Right. Um, so I ended up, I called Sally May, I told him, there's no way I can pay this. I make this amount of money. And then um, they put me on the income-based plan. So that I dropped my payment down to about two $300 a month, uh, which was helpful But then they thought I made too much money as a teacher and they removed me from the income based repayment plan and put me into a graduated repayment plan, which starts off low, but then like it adds every two years, it adds more money to your payment because initially you're making interest only payments, which is Mm -hmm. the worst, the worst thing you can do yeah you're um, and, not
0: making any progress. It's like literally being on a hamster wheel
1: exactly. and what's what's terrible is because the interest rates were so high, especially on the private loans. um it wasn't even just I was paying interest my my balance was going up. so yeah, because it, people always find it crazy when I tell them I paid hundred thousand so dollars. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't even borrow a hundred thousand so dollars. I you didn't... had
0: sixty thousand when you graduated and it ballooned
1: correct. and it was yeah. I was just, I was just living in denial, and I'm like, well, I'm going to make these payments because I can afford them. Um, it wasn't until I actually tried to, at 25 years old, I thought I was going to buy a house. I don't know what I was thinking, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I started trying to get pre-approvals, um, and I had really good credits at that point. But I was getting approved for like $100,000, $80,000, mm. and I'm like, well, that what are you going to buy in fun. New York
0: with $100,000? Uh, a dollhouse,
1: really. <laughs> And I asked him that. I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense. Why am I not getting approved for more? Um, and that's when he introduced debt to income ratio, the um, real estate agent. He was just like, well, you have a really high debt to income ratio. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's just <laughs> like, Yeah, he's just like, well, you have a lot of loans and you, you don't, your loans are way more than what you even make per year. And I'm like, so, you know, like it's really, it was just really, you know, like when you're not getting the information, right. somebody's <laughs> spitting at you. So I went, I went into my um, account and I saw that I had like almost $90,000 balance now. And so I'm like freaking out, like, no, someone stole my identity. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> I was really losing my shit. And then when I finally called Sally Mae and they like talked me through it so slow. like I, was, they, I They made it sound like I was really stupid, which I guess I was. And I, and I was so devastated. And I spent months and months and months just like crying and ashamed and embarrassed and thinking, you know, I was the only person who had ever made this mistake and didn't realize that because I was paying $200 a month and they were adding back $300 in interest every month. That all of this was going up and up and up, and I was—I never checked my loan balances. I never checked anything. I just sent the payment every month and just tried to keep living my life, tried to do whatever it is that I wanted to do. And I realized that I had made a lot of mistakes that would keep me stuck. Essentially, I would just be stuck in my parents' house. I couldn't do anything, and it was just awful. It was a terrible time. Um, and that's when I started like trying to map out a plan on what I was going to do to pay off this this balance. And then what I realized was the interest-only payments because I was a teacher I was like oh well they're gonna just forgive these loans you know still in mm. denial yeah. that those interest-only payments do not fall under the the payments that you're supposed to be making in order to get uh, yeah loan well, forgiveness no, wait, oh my god are you serious very serious so I was just like oh, wow shit. so I was like I've been doing nothing essentially <laughs> oh my god. for all these years I've been just wasting my my money and doing nothing um so I started like really downsizing on things I was doing in life. I started really staying home a lot more and kind of canceling all these things that I was doing in order to really just save a lot more money. Um, And then once a year, what I would do is I would pay off one of the loans with the highest interest. And that's how I kind of like dwindled it down and dwindled it down and dwindled it down until 2018, December, 2018, I made my final lump sum payment. And it was just, like, the best day of my life. It really oh was. Oh, my god! It, I don't have kids or anything, so maybe that will change it. But that playing off my loan was probably the best day of my life. It was amazing.
0: Wow. Okay. So much to unpack there. Um, <laughs> first off, like, can we just say what needs to be said? Student loan debt is a modern form of slavery. Like, that's just For the sure. fucking reality.
1: Because
0: For sure. the fact that you – Shackle 18 year olds to debt in and don't provide them any kind of personal finance literacy. Like as an education system, we are failing generations of young people.
1: So sure. how
0: does that make you feel as an educator and as someone who has personally battled with this issue?
1: Well, I am th- that's an awesome question. I have for the first year this year, I taught um, 12th grade in my entire 10 year career. I've never had a full uh, 12th grade class. So it was an AP class with a really strict um, curriculum. And then COVID-19 happened. So when COVID-19 happened, College Board changed all of these things for AP, which left me with about six weeks of, you know, nothing in the curriculum to cover. And I decided that although I'm the English teacher, I'm going to do a personal finance unit Mm -hmm. with these kids because... Just from the random conversations we've had whenever there's been downtime, you know, they've they've been asking me about insurance or what taxes are, what the stock market is. I could tell that even though they were taking like economics in their their history, their social studies courses, they didn't really have a real world understanding or grasp on what it is and so last week i walked them through high yield savings and i had each of them open up a high yield savings account because these are the things that matter these are the things that are going to change their lives these are these are the things that are going to guide them into their freshman year of college and set them up to have better options and better opportunities during their four years as opposed to me teaching them like how to write a memoir which is sweet but not very useful right it's not it's not they're not going to be authors right I, i mean maybe one or two but they need to know what a high yield savings is. They need to know what dividends are and capital gains. And they need to understand what interest looks like and what different compound interest and and um, amortization and all these things. Because I had no idea. And I had to learn these things so late in life that I missed out on a lot of financial opportunities and gains in, in my younger days, in my my 20, early 20s or my late um, teens. So I've spoken to my administration about including a personal finance, even if it's not course for the entire year, but some something into the curriculum at some point in their four years, because – Although senior year, it's great. I do feel sometimes senior year might be a little too late. You know, they need mm-hmm. to in their junior year or maybe introduce a piece by piece of piece in all four years, like once in the freshman year, once in the sophomore year. Um, but the curriculum is so set with all these other things and state exams and SATs. It's really difficult because my my principal's like, well, they'll be in school till like 6 p.m. if we try to add in all these things that they they need it for real life. So it's it's been a battle. I'm happy I was able to do it this year with my students, but I don't know what next year will look like. And I'm trying to figure out ways to incorporate it throughout the year without falling off of my regular curriculum. So it's really difficult. And it, it's it's unfortunate that personal finance isn't something that our nation feels should be mandated. I think right. it should be mandatory.
0: Absolutely. We focus so much on standardized testing and like not on any kind of basic skills that adults actually need.
1: Right, right. I don't need the Pythagorean theorem in my day to day. I've I've never (laughs) used it. So it's like how to balance a checkbook, how to budget that, that would be so much more beneficial in a math class than teaching all of these like theorems. But
0: So how did you actually go about educating yourself on personal finance? Because, you know, obviously nobody's teaching us this stuff. So what was your process?
1: Um, My process was definitely through my mistakes. And I feel like anytime a new term or a new idea was introduced to me, I would spend, I'm a Google queen. I would spend Mm -hmm. so much time researching. And then I added more books into my my, uh, life about personal finance just to understand that money is a tool. Um, I don't think that skill was ever taught to me. It was just money was something you had or something you didn't have. But money is absolutely a tool for you to use and learning how to use it the right way will really change the trajectory of your life. So it, I started off with learning about debt and different types of interests and learning about what debt does to credit because I could, although I had decent credit, I was like, why is my credit not higher? I don't have credit card bills. I paid off my car. Like I just couldn't understand that the amount of debt that I had was draining every aspect of my life, especially mm-hmm. my So I'm just like, okay. So I learned about credit. I learned about um, what compound interest was and why it was so detrimental and why it was adding on to my, my balance, even though I was paying so much. And then another thing that I find super interesting is people always say, oh, just make extra payments towards your loan. And it's not as simple as that, which I thought it was. It's you have to make sure that the extra payments you're making are going towards the principal because in compound interest is used for student loans and you're making extra payments that could just be going towards the interest, right? Mm -hmm. There's, it's all these things that these little minute details that are not really told because they, they honestly, they benefit the company, right? So they don't want, they don't want the majority to know all of these things because then they won't profit. They won't make as much money. So I had to learn like, okay, this, the lump sum that I'm paying, has to go to the balance. I don't want it to go towards the interest. I want it to go so towards the principal. So how do you do that? So I'm going to speak from Navian's point of view because I had salivated Navian. I don't know how all the different private lenders work. So when you go and make this payment, they have two options. And they say, should you make the payment like on your regular scheduled date, right? So let's say today, well, I don't even know what today is, January, June 6th, right? <laughs> and let's say your regular payment is June 10th. So if you click to make the payment on June 10th, like, yeah, pay it on the regular date, what they're going to do is they're going to take it as it's a regular payment. And if your regular payments are interest only, then that extra payment is going towards the interest, right? That's how they're going to calculate it. Now, if you're making it on June 6th, you need to say to process this on June 6th. And then when when they click that option, It'll say interest or principal payment and you would click principal payment. But you don't know that because you're like, oh, why would I, buy? let's just pay it the day it's due, right? Who cares? You have mm-hmm. to make sure they're paying it the day you're you're clicking that button because compound interest is added date. It's just, it's so many different tricks and different things. And I'm just like, uh, I wish I could just teach every single person all of these things I'm learning. And that's essentially how millennial in debt was born. Because I was just so frustrated that I'm like, Stumbling on these things. I'm like, can you imagine how many other people also do not know these things?
0: Yes, it is not an exclusive issue. Like, everybody who has ever taken out student loans, 99% of them, I'm sure, had no effing idea what they were signing up for. Because (laughs) I think our generation is the first that actually has to take on this level of debt to get an education. Like, boomers, I mean, they went to school and they paid like, I don't know, $2,000 a semester for school. Like, they could pay for that shit in cash. Right. So exactly. this, the inflation that we've seen with the cost of, of higher education has created a system that not only is student loan debt, the only type of debt that you cannot discharge in bankruptcy. I mean, like they will take your social security checks, like they will take inheritance. They don't give a shit like that doesn't exist for any other kind of debt. Right. So, I feel like young people are being targeted by a an a financial system that is predatory.
1: For sure. Yes. And I've I've attended all of these seminars where they talk about how um, mortgage debt and mortgage loans were very predatory. And I'm like, yes, they they were. And I'm sure there are still a lot of companies that are. But the new monster that needs to be addressed is student loans, right? Because the the lid was blown on mortgage debt and being predatory and all of these and shifting interest rates. And it's like, we learned and now we know, and now they can't really do it as much anymore. So it's like, let's just do it to 18 year olds because they have no idea yet. They don't know. So we're gonna give them all of this money because the thing with private loans as well. So with federal and private loans, there are a lot of different rules that apply to each, right? So with private loans, Loans, I learned that sometimes depending on the company how much of a jerk the company is that even when you die your next of kin will be responsible mm-hmm. for that loan and I'm like there is no other that is absurd that is yeah. absurd like it's it's ridiculous and the same thing with interest rates applies. I had a few loans that were at 16% interest
0: <gasps> my god that's like a credit card
1: exactly that's what, and that's with private loans so private loans oh can set their god. own interest and they have no cap and they can vary. So when I, and I looked at my promissory note, which I had never done before. And when I signed those loans, when those loans were discharged, they were at six and 7%. And then when I was paying them off, they were at 16. Whereas the federal, federal loans cannot go above 7%. That is because it's, it's regulated by the federal government. So a lot of people, don't only have federal loans. They some people have private loans because there's a cap on federal loans. There's so many things like I didn't know, and so majority of my loans were private loans, and they didn't meet the requirement to get um, loan forgiveness. They didn't meet the requirement to get any of the things that the federal government was so- starting to implement to help for student loans because I had taken out my own my own loans for school. So sixteen wow. percent interest is a lot on anything, but yes. especially in compound interest form on such a large amount of money where I'm only paying $200 a month. So it's just like, come on. Like We need to start focusing more on how predatory these things are. 18 year olds should not be signing these things without some sort of personal finance course, without really understanding what they're doing and without understanding the options that they're going to have when they graduate. Because again, I didn't know subsidized versus unsubsidized. Had I known in college that some of my loans were starting interest the minute I signed them, I would have tried to pay off at least the interest while in school, you know? So it's, those are different things that they need to know at 18. I wasn't thinking the way I'm thinking at 30. So it's, it's not right. It's not right. It's, it's, it's a thing that is really, really disgusting and how it's severely ignored. Like we're not really paying attention to how we're giving access to these, to these students these loans and not really giving them any choice. And then also really limiting their amount of time to think and research in itself, because I know when I would go into the financial aid office and they're like, oh, if you don't pay this balance off today, you can't register for classes for next semester.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's like, "Okay, okay. I guess I will.
0: (laughs) And you know, it's crazy because you don't have to take on a mortgage, right? Like not everybody needs to own a house, but I feel like our, our System at this point has basically told people, if you don't get at least a bachelor's degree, like you're going to be stuck working minimum wage jobs. So they kind of force people to believe that this is debt that is good, that is necessary. And they really do not do a good job of informing people of the potentially lifelong repercussions of what this debt actually means.
1: Right. I agree. And, and, And it keeps you from moving forward in life. And causes other financial issues, which is something that not many people, I've I've heard it brought up a few times, but it's just like, they're always saying, oh, millennials are so lazy, they don't want to work, they don't want to pay their bills, they don't want to buy homes. And it's like, we can't, (laughs) we cannot, because we have to pay these student loans. There's no way, I lived at home all 10 years of my 20s, because I could not afford anything else you know so it's like of course i want to be an upstanding citizen and and be a part of the economic boom and spend my dollars but i cannot like i i have to focus on
0: even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash dinero.
1: This debt that you told me was good, that you told me (laughs) would help set my life up for all these successes. So here I am now paying these loans. Right. Okay. So
0: I want to get into the strategies that you use to actually pay down this debt because the number itself, $102,000, that's daunting. So like, what did that look like strategically for you? How did you do that?
1: So what I did uh, to make it less overwhelming, because looking at the, the 102 is like, oh, this is never going to happen. Um, what I started doing was I, so each loan you're given each loan based off the, whenever you disperse, whatever it's dispersed, whenever you taking. So I had about nine different loans with different amounts, different totals. And so what I did was I focused on the loans, not with the highest balance, but with the highest interest, because those were the ones that were ballooning much faster than others. So I started off, there was my first loan that I paid off was $13,000 because it had a 16% interest rate. And so I was like, okay, what do I need to do from January 1st to December 31st of this particular year to pay off $13,000 and still, you know... Put gas in my car, pay my car insurance, and eat. You know, do do basic human things. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did was I started saving about a thousand dollars a month. Um, a little more that first year because I needed to cover thirteen thousand. And when I would do that, it means I wouldn't get my nails done. I wouldn't. I bag. I brown bagged my lunch every day. Um, it it meant saying no to a lot of friend gatherings, which was a very hard. It was hard mentally and emotionally because you know, I became sort of a hermit and I never recommend people do it to that extreme um, because I don't think it's healthy, but I wouldn't go to birthdays. I wasn't going on vacation. And, and it was because mostly I was, well, I couldn't afford it, but also I was embarrassed, you know, to, to say I can't afford this or I can't hang out because I'm trying to pay off this this loans that I took. Uh, so in doing that, I was able to have more money to save and still be able to cover my bills. I was very fortunate not to have to pay rent. I did help to pay bills in the home, but my parents, you know, they they let me live there without having to pay rent, which takes up a huge chunk of people's income because you you have to shelter yourself. Right. So I would pay off the lump sum on December. I would always do it the last day of the year. It was like this whole big thing for me. Um, and then the following year I would focus on another, another loan. So if it was $11,000, I would say, okay, I need to save this amount of money. So essentially what I was doing was creating a sinking fund. Um, and I talk about sinking funds very often on the Instagram platform where you start off with the end goal, your end total, and you work your way backwards. You say, okay, I will save either weekly or monthly or daily, whatever it is that you're, you're going to save. You have to figure out how much you have to save per that time, right? So if I'm going to do weekly, how many, how many dollars do I have to save every week to get to $11,000? And that pretty much helped to guide my budget because I would take that saving, that number out immediately. And then whatever was left is what I could use to survive or to live for that week, that month, whatever. Um, Got it. it. Yeah. So it helped as I started making a little more money as in my edu- uh, teaching career, that was more helpful because I was able to save a lot more. Um, but that was my my motive. I created a sinking fund for that year. And that was the goal, just to pay that off. So I wasn't building an emergency savings. I wasn't doing any of that. I was, I was living very much on the edge because all my focus and money was going towards the debt.
0: Yeah. So, well, and I think you were kind of in a situation where you could be a little um, less... I guess stressed out about emergencies because you, you're with your parents. So you know, right. like, you know, at the end of the day, like, nobody's going to kick you out of a house if you can't, right. like, pay your rent or something. I would hope not.
1: But yeah, <laughs> no, right. they're, good. No, they're good. They're good. They're good. <laughs> yeah.
0: So um, I'm assuming that you used, like, an interest uh, compounding interest calculator to also factor in, like, how much you had to save beyond just the, the amount of the loan that you saw at a particular time, right?
1: Right. Exactly. Because it's like, it might be $13,000 today. But but by December it's going to be a much different uh story. So I would add, I would usually add about a one to a thousand to twelve hundred dollars extra. Um, I usually was on the nose for it. Sometimes I was a little over, which is fine because it's like whatever. I'll just oh, yeah. use that little extra towards another loan. Um, and as the loan balances got lower, it just it became easier, but I, I still kept the same focus. So when I was covering the six or seven, thousand dollar balances, I didn't you know start saying, okay, well, now I can relax a little bit. No, I, mm-hmm. ke- I kept saving like twelve to thirteen thousand a year because I'm like, all right, well, I'm already used to this. I'm already comfortable with saving right. this amount of money there's no real need for me to, to decrease it. Right. It can't hurt me mm-hmm. to stay, stay at the same balance, uh, stay at the same budget and go up as opposed to saying, Oh, I only need to save $7,000. So that, that's what started helping. And that's what helped me to essentially buy my home um, because I kept increasing the amount I was saving, even though the balance and the, the loan uh, balance was smaller I was just like, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep saving. So in the last three years of me paying my loans, I was saving close to $20,000 um, a year, but my, my loans were like six or $7,000 I had to cover oh, at the end.
0: Okay.
1: Over what time
0: period did you actually accomplish this?
1: So I started this when I was 25 and I paid off my last loan when I was 30. So it took me five years. Um, so it took me 10 years essentially to pay off my loans because I graduated in 2010 or I, sure, sorry, eight years. Um, I graduated college in 2010 and I paid them off in 2018, but I didn't start focusing until I was 25. So until in 2013 is really when I started focusing on paying this down. Um, So it was really five years it took me to pay all of this money. (laughs) And did you
0: intentionally set the age of 30 as like your debt freedom age? Because I I feel like a lot of people do that. I did. I picked 35 because I just didn't realize I wanted to be debt. Step free until after I was 30. Um, but was that intentional or did it just kind of play out that way?
1: It was not intentional. I okay. <laughs> I was like spiraling about so many other things as approaching 30, but the debt part wasn't it. I was just, that's just, you know, how it worked. and seemed to work out that way. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but it wasn't my magic number. I didn't have a magic okay. number. <laughs> so I'm curious, did you face any
0: setbacks along the way? And like, how did you manage them?
1: Um... I would say the only setbacks really were like random um, financial surprises with like my car, mm-hmm. but those weren't terrible because I, I paid back my my car back in 2012. So I, I was very lucky to not have a car note to pay. Um, but obviously we have like cars break down, things go bad. And instead of buying a new car, because I'm so anti buying a new car, although I think that's what's going to happen to me this year. Um, yeah, so I would just like a three thousand dollar car thing or like a two thousand dollar car thing would be super annoying. Um, but I was able to use my savings to pay for it and keep saving in order to to pay my my lump sum in December. So those were really the only financial setbacks. I think I faced more like emotional um, and like social setbacks because of the the alienating myself and not being able to take vacations and not being able to go celebrate friends' birthdays and do things like that. So that was more difficult because your close friends, they will understand for the most part, but people are human and, you know, people make jokes. So I I was getting a lot of, oh, you're so cheap or, oh, all you do is talk about money. You're so fixated on debt. And, you know, like I was, I was the one keeping my iPhone till it would die. Like I would have... (laughs) I would have one phone forever. And still now everyone's like, girl, get a new phone. I'm like, no, um, my, girl, <laughs> my phone is three years old and it will go until it can't go anymore. And so, you know, people, people say these things like, Oh, you, you want to go to this concert? Or you want to do this? I'm like, no, I can't really afford it. And they're like, it's only a hundred dollars, you know? So it's right. like people it's unintentional, but it was hurtful. And, and those things really, kind of made me go into my shell and it's a mental mind fuck. It's really what I would always describe it as, you know, it's yeah. like, it's just, I want to participate and I want to do these things and I want to have fun, but I can't, I cannot like leave this course. I have to pay off these loans because it's keeping me from doing so many of the things that I really, really want to do. And I don't want to extend that just because you want to go to a concert or just because you want me to go to a group dinner Um, So I had a lot of difficult conversations and just it was very lonely for a long time. Um, But millennial in debt, again, really helped. It helped me to like explain myself and, and just connect with so many people going through the same thing, if not even, you know, crazier balances and paying off, you know, people paying off $200,000, $300,000 in debt and sharing their stories with me has been so amazing and so helpful in the journey and learning more about just financial um literacy itself. So I, I'm really, millennial debt is just such a, like, a platform where I'm like, I feel like I know all these people. I really do. I feel like, right? okay. <laughs> I'm like, people will like DM me and like, I paid this off and, you know, you helped me. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so proud. Like I get so excited to talk to people about this because I felt so alone in the journey myself that I'm, I'm happy that I'm providing some a space for people to share theirs and I can hear from like other people about it as well.
0: That is so true. I feel like the debt-free community is like the support system that so many people need and don't have personally like in their immediate surroundings. Yeah. Um, it just being exposed to people who are on your same wavelength and who really just have the same goals, like there's nothing that keeps you more accountable than just a group of people that are kind of pushing you to, to do better. Right. And so I think for, for a lot of us, you know, I can personally say for me, like nobody understands why the hell I want to retire at 45. They're just like, Oh, I do. I mean, you know what I mean? Exactly. You get it, but like most people are just like, "But why? Like, what are you gonna do?" Like, you know. And it's just like yeah. stupid questions that, know. unless you actually know, like, what else is out there and what is possible and what you can actually do with your money, like people don't get it. So it can yeah. be really isolating.
1: Oh, my God. I love that that retirement goal. I think I would like that as well. <laughs> I actually think I'm going to take that and make my goal. So Girl,
0: take it. Take it. We can all celebrate together. <laughs> yeah,
1: because this is this, it's, it's, it's tiring.
0: <laughs> it, it is. I, I think about that all the time. I look at my parents. They're 60 years old, and I'm just like, damn, y'all still got like five years left of this shit. I got same. another 30 years, and I cannot do this anymore. <laughs> same.
1: Same. My father is 62, and he's retiring next year. I'm like, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you got in this car because I'm turning 32. I'm like, I'm done.
0: (laughs) Well, and not to mention the fact that I feel like I've aged five years and six months during fucking 2020. So let's just talk about that. (laughs) Yep.
1: Yep. Yesterday I told my my friend, I'm like, I don't even know what we're going to be talking about a year from today. But I can't even imagine it getting any crazier. I don't want it to. Like, I don't, don't
0: want to know at this point. Like,
1: <laughs> but the conversations we've had and the things we've seen in 2020, nobody would have like anticipated any no. of this. And this is no. just this is the wildest experience I've ever had. Oh man!
0: And we got six months left to go. Pray for us, y'all. Pray for us. Yeah, because I'm
1: just like I'm like I don't I don't know what's coming. Yeah, but I need a break. I need- <laughs>
0: Absolutely. All right. So I want to know what advice would you give to someone who wants to start getting control of their finances, their loans, their debt, but just doesn't know where to
1: start? I love this question. So I always say, because people are like, oh, educate yourself, arm yourself with knowledge. Yes. But before you do all of that, which will lead to knowledge, you need to call your loan provider. You need to speak to them because me taking three years to speak to my loan provider for the first time was one of the biggest mistakes and one of my biggest regrets because I did not know why my balance was going up. I did not know that my interest rates had gone up. I did not know that I wasn't making ba- uh, payments to my to my principal. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know the options I had. I didn't know that making interest-only payments took me off of the loan forgiveness track. Like I knew none of that. And so because private lenders all have different rules and different regulations and different things, you need to speak to them. And sometimes people have two or three different loan providers. So I know our instinct is to run away from loan providers and like they call us and stalk us and they're annoying. Call them, talk to them head on, ask them what your options are, ask them what you can do. And then from there you figure out, what your financial life is and what you can handle. Because they're they're willing to go over options. But once you run, they're just like, nope, we're going to put our hand into your paycheck and we're going to take what we want. Because you didn't, you didn't speak to them. You didn't like tell them what was going on. You didn't give them the opportunity to work with you. Um, so you want to always stay in control of your finances. You always want to be the one that's in charge and leading where your money goes and how it's going to these companies. Because once you let them take over, it's very hard to gain control back. Um, and so definitely that's, that's always the first step. Speak to your loan providers, even if you don't have student loan debt, even if it's credit card debt, even if it's car debt, even if it's your mortgage that you want to refinance, you need to speak to the people who, who have these debts in your name. Um, that's the first thing. And then the second thing, of course, is you really need to, and I, people hate it, but you need to sit down (coughs) and really itemize your, your financial situation. No one wants to do it. I don't really like doing it now, even though I know better and I know that I should. But you need to sit down and you need to look at, okay, this is how much debt I have. This is how much money I spend monthly. These are what my bills are. This is what my net worth is, which is a lot of people also don't focus on that. You need to know your net worth. You need to know, even if it's negative, that's fine. You know, we all have a starting point. I had a negative net worth for all of my my 20s. So it's like, it's fine. And you need to understand what assets you have. You need to understand all of these things. And even if it's uncomfortable and you don't like it and it makes you sad, at least now you know it's your starting point, right? It's your leaping pad. Um, so you need to really take accountability of what your financial life looks like. And then really the world is yours at that point. It's like, okay, well, I don't make enough money to live. Let me figure out what I can do to make more money. Or, oh, I actually didn't realize I was spending $3,000 at Starbucks. Let me figure out how I can decrease that, you know? So it's, the knowledge is, is is important for you to figure out what your next steps are, you know. So you can figure out, okay, maybe I I want to keep Amazon Prime. That was a thing for me. I was like, I like Amazon Prime. So I was like, how can I work this this one hundred twenty one dollars a year into my budget where it's not going to hurt me? It's not going to give me a credit card bill, you know. So same thing. I don't really like having a car. It's kind of necessary in in my in my situation, my city right now. Yeah. Um. So it's like, okay, I guess I have to pay car insurance. I have to pay registration. How can I work that into my life? Or it's like, okay, maybe I actually can save money by taking cabs. I know one of my favorite people that I follow zero-based budget. She does not have a car. Um, And she actually worked it out where the money she was paying for commuting, taking the train, the bus, or taking cabs would cost her less than having insurance and a car note and things like that. So, you know, maybe that works for you. So it's just, these are things you won't be able to do until you sit down with your finances.
0: Absolutely. All fantastic advice. And yes, I love Cindy. She's freaking amazing. No. And I think she paid off <laughs> like a ridiculous amount of money too. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it was like, "Whoa, girl. Was like, Go ahead, girl.
0: That's what law school will do. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> so I wanna know because you actually bought a house the same month that you became debt free.
1: So, yeah, I signed my closing papers the following month, but I was in the process of, of buying um, oh a home. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. That's amazing. Thank you. It was, it was such a... <laughs> <laughs> so I was debt-free for one month, right? Because I paid my yeah. loan like in <laughs> December, um, and then I signed my closing papers on uh, January 20, uh, January 2019.
0: Um, I think that's so symbolic because I feel like the light bulb moment for you was the fact that you couldn't do that with all this damn debt. Yes. Yes.
1: Right? <laughs> Cause I'm like, I just want to move out of my <laughs> house and yeah. now I want to move back. I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> I can't, I can't
0: do it. I hear that. <laughs> it's
1: not. And that's why, and I'm such an advocate for people's choice, whether they want to rent or buy. And everyone's like, Oh, renting, you're paying someone else's mortgage. Renting is bad. Uh, uh-uh. uh. Renting is not bad and it works. Everything works differently for people's different situations. So I'm not shitting on anyone who's renting because as a homeowner now, I'm like, I wish I had a landlord to come and take care of this leak under my sink or to come and fix the floor in the kitchen. You know, like I wish I had that. Um, so there's different pros and cons, and and that's a that's one of my like. my little cons or gripes with the debt-free community. Sometimes they try to push the whole be a homeowner. It's it's so much better kind of thing. You know, everyone's financial journey is different, so you got to keep an open mind with with people's situations and and their choices. But yes, Definitely. I did. I purchased a home, and now I'm like I want to go back home. But it's <laughs> well, okay. it's funny
0: you say that because I was talking to For Better or Worth on um, Instagram, and he's big on like home ownership is like an illusion because we really don't understand like the extra costs that come Mm -hmm, with besides mm -hmm. your mortgage, right? And he's right. (laughs) He is so right. He, He said he calls it home loanership. Yeah. Not home ownership. Because, I mean, think about it. You don't own that house for at least 15 to 30 years, depending Correct. on how long your mortgage is. Correct. And you're going to pay way more than that house is actually worth when you're adding interest and all this other shit. Correct. And all the money that you spend in renovating and whatever property taxes that, you know, that'll always keep going up. And it's yep. funny because as someone who's a, a re- previous homeowner, now back to renting, I'm just like, I feel like I fell for the narrative. I fell for the, oh, the, irresponsible thing is renting because you're throwing money away. But I've never been more broke than when I owned a house.
1: Yeah. Never. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's same, same. And it's, it's, uh, it's just like, I don't say that I'm broke, but I feel very financially tied to the house. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, oh, I saved an extra thousand dollars this month, you know? And I'm like, oh, maybe I want to spend like, I want to spend like $200 shopping. And I'm like, girl, you better not. You better put... <laughs> that that whole thousand dollars you saved, put it in a, a, like a home thing because the other day, like my ceiling fan was like coming off my ceiling and I'm like, what the hell (laughs) is going on? And so I had to get someone to do that. And now I have this like random annoying leak under my sink that I discovered last night at like one o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to quarantine here anymore. I want (laughs) to stop. (laughs) I want to go home and my dad, my dad's like a big, like, he like, I'm a daddy's girl. He's like, okay. He's like, you could come home, but he's like, you sure you want to do that? <laughs> and I'm
0: like, yes. <laughs> like, yeah. It, it, it's a real thing. Like home ownership is not for the faints at heart and don't let anybody pressure you into, you know, thinking that that's for you because I had to do some personality assessment on myself. When I became a homeowner, I was miserable. I'm like, I'm not handy. I can't fix shit. I gotta hire people. Same. It costs a ton of money.
1: Oh right. Oh my god. The <laughs> and I'm just like,
0: I realized a couple things during that experience. One, I well, I bought a multifamily home. So I realized I don't want to live with other people. So that's mm. mistake number one. Number two was I'm not handy. I don't want to learn how to fix shit. So it's always gonna cost me money to own a house because I'm gonna have to outsource most of the work that yes. needs to be done. Oh number god. three, I have commitment issues. Like I want to pick up and just move oh, across the country. Yes. You're right? s- are we twins? <laughs> <laughs> For real. And like all of this shit didn't come to, to, I like, I didn't realize it about myself until I felt the, the, the anchor of the home. I was like, damn it. Like this means I got to stay here. And that shit was unnerving.
1: It's daunting. And what I love about having the Millennial Debt platform is that I can share these experiences with people mm, who are just yeah. like, you're a homeowner. That's great. I'm like, but let me tell you why it's not great.
0: <laughs> right.
1: All right. Let me freaking tell you that I just, I don't know. It's I'm happy that I did this, but I'm also unhappy that I did this. So it's like, it's, a, it's I've learned, but I'm also ready to be like, yeah. No. <laughs> well,
0: I love that you use your platform to educate people and just talk talk to them like straight up. This is what it is. This is what you yeah. should know. Like the 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 good and the bad and the ugly. So, can you talk more about like where the inspiration for millennial debt came from, and then like what um, what people can find on that platform?
1: So Millennial in Debt started as a web series um, at, its, at its basis. And because I, I'm a writer, I love writing, I, I want to eventually write a book. And so I'm like, I want to write about all the experiences that all of my friends, including myself, have had. Because at that point, I was just like, you know what, I'm tired of being embarrassed. I'm tired of feeling alone. I'm tired of feeling alienated. I need to talk to people about this. I'm like, I I cannot be the only person who's Gone through this and made these mistakes. And so I just started having real conversations with my friends. And then they would tell me about stories and things that happened with their friends. And then it just ballooned into this whole big thing. So every episode of Millennial in Debt that's come out has been an experience, or well, exaggerated or not, because I got to make it a little funny, but has been an experience that myself or my friends have had in navigating debt and living in New York or living in any major city really as a millennial, not getting paid your worth, not getting paid what you feel your value is, um, and still having to deal with all these things, you know, navigating debt with your parents, because mm-hmm. being at home as a 25, 26 year old, when you're you're a full grown adult, you know, the government says you're paying all these bills, but your parents are like, nah, you're by, You're still <laughs> so that's an issue because it's like, well, you don't really have money to change that situation. And now you have to bump heads with your parents a lot, you know, and then dating with debt. Having to figure out who's going to pick up the check, where are you going to go? Mm. Like who's being, um, you know, like a uh, they're just showing off for the gram, like all these things. So that's how it started. And then I'm like, you know what? I I love humor, and I like making everything entertaining and really easy to access. I was like, let me let me create an Instagram. Like it'll promote the web series, but it'll also like give people different little like tidbits of information that I picked up along the way. And then it just mm-hmm. kept growing. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to talk about stocks because, you know, I started investing in stocks and I started doing this. I was like, let me tell them what I learned. And then I was like, I'm going to talk about mortgages and all these things. So anything that I experience and I learn, I just funnel it into accessible information on the millennial debt platform. And it just, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And I love seeing how it evolves. Like I, I was looking at like my Insta stories from, when we started in 2017 and looking at like the, the feed and what it looked like. And I'm like, this has evolved and grown into so many different ways that I, I never anticipated. And it's been such a blessing. And it's it's so nice to see how, how it's been helpful and impactful for so many people, including myself. And you manage this completely on your own. So I have a business partner who's also my best friend who actually went to law school with Cindy. They graduated. together. Ah. Best- I know so like random. And we started yeah. a, um a brand in twenty thirteen that was focused on like natural hair and beauty and things like that. And that's how we learned about what building a brand was and like business and LLCs and all things like that. And then we partnered with Zara, who also went to law school with We're all like so connected. Yeah. Um, um, so Zara became our entertainment lawyer and she did our trademarking and things like that and was teaching us more about the legal standpoints of things and how money works in all those types of ways. And so we just kept expanding our net worth. And so we had this, this hair and beauty brand and then we were like, okay, well, we do want to talk about money and finances and I want to do this web series. So we like made millennial in debt, a subsect of our beauty brand. Uh, and now we're actually trying to like reverse it and make millennial in debt, like the lead of the brand. Um, So we've been working together since 2013. We went to college together. We had a similar um, student loan debt experience. She's still in the student loan battle, um, paying off her law school debt, which is massive. Um, So I'm the content creator and she's more of the legal standpoint. Um, and then I'm a teacher so we we we're spread very thin but we think that what we're doing is pretty awesome and fun so we want to make sure I mean you guys
0: cool. are killing it because the level of professionalism of the content that you put out it's just curated so beautifully I mean oh. you're fucking gorgeous uh, you know <laughs> oh my god I'm just like I wish I had her hair I wish I had her oh. just like oh <laughs> it's like I'm awesome.
1: standing, standing. It's it's too much. Thank you so 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 much. It's it's funny you say that because during quarantine, I have been telling Shakira who's my partner. I'm like, I look so ugly. Oh <laughs> Stop it, girl. You like are freaking... my eyebrows. Everything's a mess. I was like, oh my god. No, you're
0: you're bad. freaking stunning. Thank honestly,
1: thank you. I appreciate. And I appreciate more it, importantly, very much so.
0: Absolutely. More importantly, the messages that you're putting out there are so relevant, so relatable. I th- I think that's why I connected with your brand right away because I'm just like, this girl talks to me like I would be talking to one of my girlfriends. Like, I love it.
1: Yes. Uh, thank you. That that's <laughs> Whenever I make content, I'm like, I really want to want to talk to people as if they're people. You know, I don't like yes. talking to people like, oh, you don't know this? Let me, like, try. no, like, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to be homies. We're going to be friends. And that's why I love Millennial Death Platform is just, is it's home. It's such a, a home. It's really, yes. it's really nice.
0: It does feel that way for sure. Okay. So I'm curious, do you have a money mantra or something that kept you motivated during your money, your debt payoff?
1: Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I had like one particular mantra that really uh, comes to mind it was really just stay focused is what I kept. I just kept telling myself, stay focused, stay focused, stay focused. Like anytime I'm like, Oh, you know, this is on sale. This looks really cute. I could buy this and still pay my my bills. It's Like, no, stay focused, stay focused. And, I, and I've been telling myself that now, especially during quarantine and, and with so many financial uncertainties, it's like, stay focused, keep doing what you're doing, keep saving, keep investing, stay focused, you know, because I truly believe that, staying focused on whatever your mission is will help you reach that end goal. And it's, it's going to be like a huge celebratory moment when you reach that because you were able to stay the course. So stay focused is my thing. Super cheesy, but <laughs> no, <laughs> I, love my it. Thing.
0: I mean, it's, it's basic advice, but it's just like, really, that is the core of things because there's so many different things around us that are distracting us, people pulling us in different directions, different yeah. goals. But it's like, if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you're not going to be able to stick to the plan.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Got to keep the end goal in mind.
0: Yes. Okay. So where can we find out more about you and follow your journey?
1: All right. So Instagram and YouTube are probably the easiest spaces to find me and access and and talk and have conversations. And both are um, at Millennial In Debt. We're on Twitter a mill in debt because of you know character restrictions. And we are currently rebranding our website. So right now it's trialsandtresses.com, but we are going to be switching the domain soon. We're working on a lot of things, which I'm super excited. Can't talk about yet, which I hate when influencers and internet people say, I hate it. But it's, like, I can't talk about it yet because I don't have an end date on when it's going to be released. Uh, but we are going to have, like, some really awesome things. Um, so millennialindebt.com coming very, very, very soon. Uh, but, yeah, I'm I'm all over the Internet. You can find me everywhere.
0: Melissa, thank you so much. Like, your story is so damn inspiring. You are amazing. Like, I just want everybody to follow you because, I mean, like I said, the content you're putting out there, it is so relatable, it is so approachable, and it's so informative. So I just thank you for what you're doing. It's awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. I love this, this space that you've created. I love that you are just incorporating so many Black and Brown people and having them share their stories and educating other Black and Brown people. I love this. So I just thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
0: I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Melissa is such a badass, like I am a forever fan of hers. She is just so approachable in how she talks about this stuff, because let's be honest, student loans are fucking scary, especially when we're talking about like paying them back without a plan. Melissa has broken down the barriers to getting real about student loan debt, and she's created an amazing community with her Millennial In Debt brand that I think you should definitely subscribe to because she's dropping gems left and right. And if she can do it, you can do it. That's what this podcast is all about. It's about making you realize that this type of success and these type of stories aren't just for people who are super well-off, making seven figures, not having a care in the world. Like, Melissa is a school teacher. We all know this country does not value educators, and she still took it upon herself to make the necessary sacrifices to get rid of this mountain of student loan debt, and now she's on the other side of it, celebrating her successes, and most importantly, sharing her story so that you know you can do it too. I think we all have an obligation when we are accomplishing something amazing We need to share it because you never know when you can be that inspiration for somebody. And Melissa is definitely inspiring many with her story. And I hope she inspired you today. So as always, if you're loving this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. That way, you know, whenever a new episode is dropping, please make sure to share it. That way people like you that are looking for this information can find it. And of course, rate and review. That's the only way that I know that you're enjoying things and that we create content that is relevant and meaningful to you. So until next time, guys, stay educated, stay out of debt, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.